Good morning. You know, English can be a tricky language sometimes. The grammar, the punctuation, definitely the spelling. You know, the theirs get you all the time, which one it is, right? There, there, and there, right? English can be tricky, um, and I've got a, a PowerPoint to kind of just show you a little bit of what I mean. If you don't believe me about English being tricky, all you have to do is look at some church signs. Okay, all right, all right. Now, to be fair, to be fair, some church signs do an amazing job. Others, eh, let's just take a look. Okay. Yeah, English is hard, right? If you don't have the right spacing here, this could read, God is nowhere. Or, God is now here, right? Spacing matters. Christmas Bazaar and Craft Show, Fight Children with Diabetes Fundraiser. <laughs> Punctuation and grammar matter. Prophecy class canceled due to unforeseen circumstances. <laughs> Let that one sit and marinate for a little bit. Best sausage supper in St. Louis. Come and eat Pastor Thomas Ressler. Oh no is right. God holds each accountable for sin and will punish Pastor Larry Wilhite. Will I'm not sure what Pastor Larry did, but... If your life stinks, we have a pew for you. <laughs> Having trouble sleeping? Try one of our sermons. <laughs> All right. English can be tricky. English can be tricky. It's, uh, it's a hard language sometimes. This morning, we're going to continue our study in Philippians called Citizens of Heaven. And so if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to, to pull them out and open to Philippians. If you don't have your own Bible with you, there are some scattered around the sanctuary here uh, under the chairs. I encourage you to find one and open to Philippians 1. We'll be reading uh, verses 27 to 30 this morning. And as you have the word open, I um, encourage you to just join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the reminder of your birth, the importance of Christmas morning. We thank you that in your birth in sending your son Jesus to come to earth, we have hope and peace and joy and ultimately experience your love in a new way. Lord, I pray that as we come together with your word open, that you would illuminate your word by your Holy Spirit, and that this would not just be an opportunity to gain more head knowledge, but that transformation would take place through the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that you would soften our hearts, open our eyes, unplug our ears, 
and allow us to just come before you and receive what it is you have for us this morning. So Lord Jesus, I just pray that you would speak this morning, that this would be your word and not mine, and that you would lead this time. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I'll be reading out of the English Standard Version, starting in Philippians 1, 27. You can follow along in your own Bibles. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God." For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. This is God's word. Now, as I demonstrated just a little while ago, English can be tricky. And depending on what, what uh, translation you're, you just read along with, you might have had some different words. Uh, along the way. But in the English Standard Version, we open with this statement that says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now, as I spent the week with this, I realized that I have an issue when it comes to reading English sometimes. And I, there, I think it was Wednesday night, Amy and I were, were driving, and I said, Hey, can you pull up Philippians 1, verse 27, and tell me how you would read that? Like, if you just had to read that sentence out loud, how would you read it? And we come to find that how she would have read it was slightly different than how I would have read it because of this very first word that says only, right? Where do you put the emphasis or the emphasis, right? Yeah, right? You get it? So is it only let your manner of life be worthy or only let your manner of life be worthy? What is it? Because the emphasis matters. Right? And in English, it's really tricky to understand. The good news is that English wasn't the original language this was written in. It was written in Greek. And the Greek tells us a lot more. In this opening statement of only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, this statement that says your manner of life literally uh, can be translated as behave as citizens. Live as a citizen, in other words. Paul uses, yeah, Paul uses this very same Greek word later in chapter 3, verse 20, and it is translated there as citizen. This word means to be a citizen, to behave as a citizen, or literally live as a citizen. Some translations will translate it that way. Others do not. And I have my... You version app here to just give you a couple different translations of how this is translated into English. So the New King James Version would translate this, verse 27, only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. I think uh, the New American Standard uh, 2020 Version, only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy 
The King James Version would translate it this way. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. Right? So different translations even take that original language and translate it slightly different. But if we were to read it in its original language, the idea is that Paul is saying, live as a citizen worthy of the gospel of Christ. To quote John Kitchen, who we had as our missions conference, uh, international worker, in his book, Philippians for Pastors, it says, in Hellenistic, which is Greek, ancient Greek writings, this word that I can't pronounce in the Greek, uh, but this Greek word means to conduct oneself as pledged to some law of life or to discharge your obligations as citizens. In ancient Greek writings, this Greek word that, is, that, is, that Paul uses here means to conduct oneself as pledged to some law of life. What's interesting is, he says, let this pledge, this citizenship that you are living out, be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So Paul's saying, live as a citizen that's worthy of this gospel of Christ. This word worthy depicts uh, an equivalent. It's, um, it's hard to describe in English exactly, but think of like balancing scales. Okay? And on one hand, on one scale, you have worthy of the gospel of Christ. And on the other hand, or, or excuse me, gospel of Christ, the worthy is the balancing act. So Paul's saying how you live needs to measure up and be worthy in balance with the gospel of Christ, that it should be balanced. So where does this word only come into play? Because it's confusing in English. Well, only here in the original language is an adverb. And again, I'm not, no, I'm not the grammar police. I'm thankful for my wife who helps me with my newsletters and makes sure everything's correct in that manner. So thank you, Amy. But an adverb modifies a verb or an adjective, right? And so it, it modifies what's being said. Well, the verb in this statement is Live as a citizen. That is the action. That is the verb. And so this modification means to only live as a citizen. And all that you do, the only thing you should do is live as a citizen worthy of the gospel of Christ. So Paul here is telling these Philippian believers that the only thing they're to do is live their life in a way that's worthy of this gospel of Christ. Now, why is that such a big deal? Well, we back up to week one in Philippians. We realized and we discovered that the Philippian church is in Greece, you know, in the Greek region, but they're a Roman colony, right? Which came with all sorts of benefits. So those who are receiving this letter from Paul might really struggle with this statement, to only live their life as a citizen of heaven or worthy of the gospel of Christ. The Philippian people had gained a status of Roman citizenship. 
This gave all the Philippians a status and citizenship that came with benefits that the other people in the region had not had. But not only did it give them benefits, it also gave them a sense of pride that they were Roman citizens. They would have had rights that others in their region would not have had. And by, telling, by Paul telling these people, these Philippian believers, in this culture to only live as citizens worthy of the gospel of Christ might have been a little bit confrontational. Might have caused a little bit of conflict within the believer. What Paul is doing here is he's making it clear that as believers, our heavenly citizen trumps our, earth, our worldly citizenship. That in everything we do, no matter where we find ourselves, no matter what government we're under, our heavenly citizenship is the one we prioritize. The problem is we get distracted. We get distracted by the cares of this world. We get distracted about the way things used to be. And we let that distract us from the mission that Christ gave us in the Great Commission to go and make disciples of all nations. To love God and others. And we get so caught up in what we feel like we're losing in our citizenship that it distracts us from the thing that really matters to live our life worthy of the gospel of Christ. See, Paul could be writing that letter to us as Americans. And it, would, and it would hit us the same way that it would hit this church. He says, only live your lives as heavenly citizens that are worthy of the gospel of Christ so that... Whether I come and see you or I am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. It says you're to only live this way so that whether I come to you, which is my desire, which we unpacked last week, right? We talked about the whole tug of war that Paul's feeling. He's in prison and he's like, my desire first and foremost is to go be with Jesus because that's far better. But I know he has me here for a reason. He says, so whether or not I come and see you or not, I may hear of you. Paul again reveals his desire to come see them, but he also understands like he doesn't know the future. His future is uncertain. And he says, either way, I want to hear from you. This, this language is to receive a report, right? He, he wants to hear a certain thing about the Philippians, specifically that they're standing firm in one spirit. This, this speaks of persisting, to stand firm, right? This language of standing firm is to not be moved, 
right? It's, it's the idea of the military standing, you know, think about Roman times, right? They would, have, they would stand in battle lines. And when the, when the enemy would come and push against the battle line, they would stand firm and not be moved, right? Now, the Roman soldiers would, would help with this by wearing what we would call something similar to like cleats, right? They would have spikes on the bottom of their sandals so that when they dug in, they weren't movable. This is what it means to stand firm, to stand our ground. He says, stand firm in one spirit. This speaks of a soldier not budging one inch from their post. This one spirit language, the different interpreters will interpret this in a variety of different ways. To, to Some would say that it's the Holy Spirit that, that Paul's referring to here, but traditionally it's this idea of, of just having unity among the, the brethren, right? In one spirit, like in, in one body-ness. See, he's encouraging them that whether he comes to them or not, that they will stand firm in this charge to only live as citizens of heaven, united together in the inner being. So beyond the outward appearance of standing together, but like literally we share in the same mission together internally. Not only to stand firm in one spirit, but to have one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. This one mind is, is the same word uh, that it can be translated as soul. This idea of striving side by side, again, is a second speaking of unity. Now, some translations might say striving together, which could be misinterpreted as like butting heads, like fighting each other. That's not what Paul is saying here. He's saying to fight alongside one another for something, for the faith of the gospel. Now, that statement can be translated, what I found, three different ways. It could be translated the faith that is the gospel, the faith which is based on the gospel, or faith in the gospel. And I think all kind of carry equal weight in some regard. But based on my understanding, what Paul's saying here is the faith that is in the gospel, that comes from the gospel, from the good news, the faith that the believer receives by believing in the gospel. says, whether I come to you or not, I want to hear the report that you are finding unity, standing firm in the spirit, and having one mind fighting for the faith that the gospel brings. In other words, Paul is saying, whatever may come, with or without my presence, Philippians, I want you to live your life where the gospel rules your life. And to do so unified in Christ. That's essentially what Paul's saying to these believers. He continues on 
in verse 28, where he says, And not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. See, Paul wanted a report that they were standing firm in unity, but he also wanted a report that they would not be frightened by the enemy, anything that opposed them, anything that came from opposition. This word frightened is the Greek word tyro, which I believe we get the English word tyranny or terrified. It's only used once in Scripture right here, and it means to frighten or terrify. So Paul's saying, like, I want to hear a report that no matter what the enemy, what the opponents there that you're living in, throw your way, you're not terrified. That you can stand firm in the face of whatever they bring your way, knowing that you're living out your citizenship from heaven first. The word opponents here literally means an adversary or someone who's contrary. And based on what we know about Philippi, all of these believers were surrounded by those who were contrary to them, right? Because in a Roman colony, Caesar is Lord. Caesar is Savior, and to say otherwise is treason. And so here's Paul writing to this group of believers in the midst of a culture where literally living out this gospel life, this citizenship as one worthy of the gospel, literally was taking their life into their own hands. Because there would be opponents that would gladly imprison them for treason. And he says, I know that that's a scary thing, but I want to hear a report that you're not terrified by that that you have faith and courage in Christ as your Lord and Savior to be bold for the gospel. Whatever the world does against us because of our beliefs in Christ, we're not to be terrified by it. If we lose certain legal benefits if we lose rights because of our faith, we're not to be terrified by that. Paul says that he wants to hear from them that whatever would come their way, they would not be terrified. That they are standing firm in one spirit, unified in one mind as citizens of heaven. And what kind of came to mind as I was reading this and unpacking this <laughs> The story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego come to mind. And if you don't know the story all that well, it's an Old Testament story found in the book of Daniel where these Jewish boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, are being forced to worship an idol that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, a statue. And every time the music and all the different instruments would play, everybody had to bow down and worship this statue, this idol. And these three Jewish men, and I'm sure Daniel didn't either, but he's not included in the story here. 
they don't bow down and worship the statue. And as a result, King Nebuchadnezzar throws them into the fire, right? They stood firm in their faith. They, said, they, even, they even proclaimed to Nebuchadnezzar, do what you want, but we're going to serve God. Like, <laughs> God will protect us if that's his will. Otherwise, we're with him anyway, so do your best, right? That is what Paul's talking about here. For you and for me, for those who have been born again as believers in Christ, that our faith would come with this boldness. That whatever would come our way, we would not be afraid. My question is, does the church, the bride of Christ, have this kind of faith in the gospel of Christ today? Or are we too worried about losing rights and privileges? Are we too worried about what our government officials are doing among us? Have we lost sight of the gospel? Have you, have I, if not, if, if we don't have that kind of faith, we've placed our trust in the wrong citizenship and we need to repent. Not being terrified by our opponents is a clear sign of their destruction, he goes on. He says, in the face of the attack, in the face of whatever is going to come your way, your standing firm is a sign, a clear sign of their destruction. Not yours, theirs. This sign, the word sign here, literally means a demonstration, a proof, or an evidence. And the word destruction means perishing, ruin. The destruction that consists of eternal misery in hell. Paul is saying that in, when we stand firm in the face of the attack, in the face of our opponents, when we stand firm in our faith, against such attacks, it's a clear demonstration of their destruction, their misery in hell. But he doesn't stop there. He continues and he says, this is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but for you, it's a clear sign of your salvation. And he goes on and he says, and that from God. When we trust completely with all of who we are, with everything we are, we need not fear this world. Or what the world can do to us. There are countries all around the world where being a believer literally is dangerous. You know, in the alliance we call these creative access countries. Right? Where one of our, our most recent international worker serves in. Not too long ago in the news, I remember hearing a story of Egyptian believers literally being beheaded because they would not renounce Jesus. This is what it looks like to stand firm.
our boldness in the face of the attack reveals to the enemy their own destruction. And it reveals our salvation, which comes from God alone. In other words, living, uh, our living testimony in the face of an evil world reveals two things. The proof of evil and the proof of salvation that comes from God and nothing else. This is why a few weeks ago we, we exposed the lie that like believers, you know, that, that, that word of faith and, and you know, gospel, you know, uh, health and wealth gospel and the prosperity gospel, how those are false. Because the reality is, as a born-again believer, we're facing an enemy. We're going to face trials. We're going to face attacks. Recently, heard a story about an individual, and I won't use names, but they said, yeah, my dad told me if you haven't met Satan, you're going in the same direction. Think about that. If you haven't experienced the trial, then you're going in the same direction. Why would he oppose you? When we stand in unity under the banner of Christ for our faith in the gospel, because that's how we live our lives and that's what we're focused on, it proves evil and it proves salvation. He goes on and to close this section, verses 29 and 30. He says, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. This granted to you language means that it's been freely given, it's been delivered. And he says that it's been delivered, it's been freely given to you for the sake of Christ. Well, for the sake of Christ, what? That we would not only believe, but also suffer. Because of Jesus Christ, we receive the gift of believing or faith. It's the same word here. Trust would be another word that could be translated here for the word believe. And like, did, do you understand that faith is a gift that God gives us? Like having faith and building our faith is a gift from the Lord. It says so right here. That the gift of believing comes from Christ. says that we receive the gift of believing or faith. And in the same way that we receive that gift, because of Jesus Christ, we also receive the gift of suffering. Now, some of you might go, wait, I don't like that gift. I don't want that gift. I, I want to return to sender. All right? Where's my, where's my Amazon return slip? Paul's very clear here, and Paul would know I mean, you think about what Paul went through for the sake of Christ. He says, this is a gift. Both faith and suffering are gifts from God himself to the believer. 
We often find, and I've, I've taught this before, that in our suffering, we know Jesus more fully because of our dependence on him, because we need him more. And it's through those trials where our faith is built up. And so it is a gift to suffer in the name of Christ because we receive more of him. Not like, not like filling up a cup, right? Like it's, not, it's not receiving more of the Holy Spirit in the sense of quantity, but volitionally, like we experience him more. <laughs> Let me just clarify what I just said because the moment you repent of your sins and claim Christ as your Lord and Savior, you receive the fullness, the entirety of the Holy Spirit. Okay? How much we experience that filling or, or, or the power that comes from that filling matters on how much we're going to allow the Holy Spirit to rule our life. Right? He says that it has been granted to you for the sake of Christ that you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. This word engaged in literally means experiencing or participating in, having or holding. And it's very possible that as there were some Philippian believers that are receiving this letter by the time it gets to them, it's very possible that they've experienced prison because of their faith. He says the same conflict. Philippians were jailed with Paul the first time he goes to Philippi, right? You got to go back to Acts for that. His very first visit, right? He's in prison with a bunch of other Philippians in, in Christ, God releases them, the chains break, the, the, the soldier, the centurion gets ready to kill himself, and he goes, wait, right? And the, jail, the Roman jailer is saved. They've experienced with him, they've engaged with him imprisonment. They knew the experience. And now, because of this letter that Paul is writing to them, which we uncovered a couple weeks ago, the whole purpose of him writing this letter is so that they know his current circumstances. They don't have to guess. My friends, like the Philippians, we too must live only as citizens worthy of the gospel of Christ. Our allegiance must be to God and God alone. We must stand firm in unity for the gospel without fear of what the world may say or do to us. For we know that God is the one who saved us to himself, for himself, for his purposes. And that in this new citizenship that we find by grace, we, both, we find both the gift of faith in Christ and the gift of suffering for Christ's sake. As we take the gospel to the ends of the earth. For far too long, 
the Western church has been idle and comfortable showing up on Sunday mornings and getting their dose of God for the week. If we want to see revival in this country, it starts with each one of us living as heavenly citizens, first and foremost. Would you pray with me as we close? Heavenly Father, Lord, this is a challenging passage of Scripture, and I'm thankful for the grace But Lord, my, my heart remains the same. And, and just, Lord, I, I pray that we would take, each one would take this challenge seriously to only live our lives in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, to lay down all other cares and burdens and, and, and these things that distract us in this world. To take the great commission and the great commandment seriously individually and corporately. Because, Lord, there are a lot of lost and hurting souls right here in town. Lord, break our hearts for what breaks yours. You have called your church for a time such as this. Lord, I pray that wherever repentance is necessary... I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would bring us to that place. That you would bring us to a point of surrender. To lay down the things that we hold so dear that aren't you. Lord, by your Holy Spirit, I pray that you would empower each person to live this citizenship you call us to live. not so that we would boast, but that, Lord, you would receive the honor and the glory, that your name would be praised, that when lost people encounter your bride, they say, who is this Jesus that loves me this way? Lord, that is the prayer of our hearts. So do what only you can do, Lord Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Would you stand for this benediction? In this Advent season where we reflect on hope and peace and joy and love that comes from Christ, let me read Romans 5, 1 to 5 for you. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we also have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. All those who believe, say amen. 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 God bless you. See you Saturday night.